Hey, good morning, faith family. If you got a Bible, make your way to John 18. John 18, that's where we're going to be in just a few moments. Um, we're continuing in our series called Conflicted. I've been so encouraged by just the feedback that we've received. You know, we're, we're taking some of those familiar stories uh, that happened around the crucifixion and the resurrection, and we're looking at them kind of through that human, real, kind of raw lens as to what they were conflicted about, what they were struggling with. And I think part of the reason we've been getting so much good feedback is that people relate to this. I mean, how many of you can relate to a time when you struggled as to whether or not you would believe or not believe, like Thomas? Uh, or maybe like uh, uh, Peter, will you deny or not? Or I was even shocked, like last week, people got fired up about a sermon on Judas. Really? Yeah. And, but all of us can relate to, are we going to betray or are we not? Are we going to be faithful to Jesus or are we going to walk away? And so these are, this is a very real human look at the individuals and events surrounding the resurrection. And so that, that's what we're looking at today. We're going to look at uh, Pilate and the religious leaders who were certainly conflicted as to what to do with Jesus. And so let's look at John 18. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Uh, John 18, verse 28 is where we'll pick up. John is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These words come to us with the very authority of God. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered to him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Well, Take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Well, are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? You're your own nation. The chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So are you a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray together. Father, it's a joy to be with your people. Um, wow, moments like this, supernatural things happen. 
And so we ask, God, that you would come and work in our lives. I pray, I'm asking by the power of the Spirit that no one in this place would leave the same, that everybody would encounter you today. We are not here to see how nice the sermon is and how well the music will be. We're here to encounter you. And you take your word by your Spirit and you meet us in moments like this. So would you do it? For the glory of Jesus and the glory of Jesus alone. And we ask it in his name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. By all estimations, he's uh, the richest man in modern history. And uh, without a doubt, the wealthiest American uh, that ever lived. Born in upstate New York, John D. Rockefeller became the founder of the Standard Oil Company in 1870. It's it, it said that before all that was broken up, uh, that he owned about 90% of all U.S. oil, making him America's first billionaire. In fact, they estimated that Rockefeller's net um, worth at its peak was $336 billion. That's a lot of money. Um, I say that because I, I want you to feel the, the weight. I want you to feel the significance of an event that happened in Rockefeller's life. He was, he was visiting this small community on the East Coast, a community that was facing some very difficult economic times. They were facing some financial hardships, so much so that the leaders of the community decided to get everybody together for kind of a, a town hall meeting. Well, Rockefeller happened to be in town, and he heard of the meeting, and he decided that he would attend. Throughout the meeting, every time he would try to offer up some advice or, or, or speak into the situation or, or, or provide some help, they would dismiss him. Every time, they would ignore what he said and completely keep moving on until finally he became so frustrated that he just got up and left. Shortly after, a man comes running back into the meeting and he says, what was he doing here? And the guy that was leading the meeting said, who, who, who are you talking about? To which the man said, that man is John Rockefeller. Please tell me that you asked him for help. And with much regret, the man said, and this phrase caught me. He said, I didn't ask for his help because I didn't know who he was. I didn't ask for his help because I didn't know who he was. Now, I want you to think about that, Faith Emily. Imagine being in the presence of somebody that has the solution to your problem. Imagine being in the presence of someone that has the answer to the issues in your life, and yet you completely dismiss it. You completely ignore him. You know, history is full of missed opportunities like that, isn't it? Take, for instance, you uh, sports fans, the Boston Red Sox in 1919. They trade this young baseball player because of some off-the-field issues, but they had no idea about the career that Babe Ruth 
would go on to have. Mike Smith, an executive at Decca Records, travels to England to hear this up-and-coming band. After listening, says, quote, Guitar groups are on their way out. The Beatles have no future in show business. Don't <laughs> miss that one. Or what about a Michigan banker that refused to invest in Henry Ford's motor company because, I love this, the automobile is a novelty, the horse is here to stay. <laughs> Anybody ride in on one of those today? Got it parked outside? Valet? <laughs> what about Daryl Zanuck, 1946, who uh, passed up the opportunity to invest in televisions because, quote, the television won't be able to hold any market after the first six months. People will get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. <laughs> Which, of course, is all people do every night. My point is, and I could give you example after example after example, that life is full of missed opportunities. And my guess is, if you stop for just a moment to think about your life, you could probably think of some as well. You know, if only you had invested in that. If only you had said yes, if only you had taken that job, if only you'd said I love you, if only you would have done something, and you look back and you think, wow, I missed a great opportunity. Why is that? Everybody here for just a moment. Why is it that we miss life's great opportunities? Here's why. Because in the moment, we do not understand who or what we're dealing with. In the moment, we don't understand who or what. Because if, if we knew what we were dealing with, if, if we knew how successful the Beatles were going to be, you, you, you would have signed them. If you knew Babe Ruth's career, you wouldn't have traded him. If you knew who he was, you would have asked for help. And it's exactly what's happening in John 18. Pilate is asking questions like, are you king of the Jews? So are you a king? Where are you from? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you or the authority to crucify you? In other words, Pilate has no idea who he's dealing with. He has no idea that the person in front of him is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God in flesh. And because he has no idea who he's dealing with, he misses the greatest opportunity in life. I'm going to tell you up front this morning and where we're going to go the next few moments, maybe three hours, here's my aim for all of us today right here. I don't want you to miss the greatest opportunity in life, which is knowing Jesus Christ. You were created by God, and you were created for God to know God and enjoy God and be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the reality is so many of us today have either missed that opportunity to know Him or we've missed the opportunity to grow daily in Him. And that's what's happening from a human perspective in this passage. All the players involved miss Jesus. And I want to show you four reasons why. All right? Who's all for the greatest opportunity in life? Who's all for knowing Jesus and growing in Jesus? Well, what are those things that will cause us to miss him? Number one, 
this won't surprise you, is religious morality. Religious morality. Look at chapter 18 and verse 19. It says, The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered them, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. We'll come back to this, but watch. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I have said to them. They know what I've said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus in with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I've said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I've said is right, then why do you strike me? Here, here's the thing, faith family. The, the Jewish leaders at this point are absolutely furious with Jesus. And this has been building for quite some time. It didn't just happen overnight. It's been brewing because Jesus keeps breaking all their rules. And it's frustrated them to no end to the point that they want him dead. They're tired of him. People are actually starting to follow him, and that is a crisis for them. He, he, he breaks the Sabbath. He hangs out with all these Gentiles, women, Samaritans, tax collectors. And to make matters worse, he's claiming to be the Messiah. And, and so they can't stand people that break the rules that they've laid out. Because after all, they are so good at keeping them themselves. I mean, they're awesome. Look at verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they themselves, watch, did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So pin a blue ribbon on their pocket. They're so moral and good. I tell you, they won't even go into a Gentile's home because they don't want to be uh, defiled for the Passover. They want to remain pure for the Passover. Aren't they awesome? I mean, that, that, that Jesus, he breaks all the rules. Those religious leaders, they keep all the rules. Are you sensing the sarcasm? You should, and here's why. Because if you know the context... There's great irony in verse 28. Why is that? Why is there great irony? Did you see the phrase? Look at it again in verse 28. It was early morning. In other words, it's early morning when they come to Pilate's house, meaning everything that's just happened took place at Night. Now, why is that a big deal? Here's why it's a big deal. Because according to Jewish law, trials could not occur at night so that people could be held accountable. Trials were, not heard, trials were to be heard at the temple, not the high priest home, so it would be a public hearing. Trials, according to the law, assumed innocence. They assumed guilt. Trials for death had to wait three days. This one happens immediately. Trials require two witnesses. They give Jesus none. Do you smell what I'm stepping in? It's religious hypocrisy. The very ones that don't want to defile themselves by going into a Gentile home are breaking all the rules with a trial by night. The very ones that would say, oh yeah, we love those Ten Commandments, especially the one that says thou shalt not bear false witness, are bearing false witness. The very ones trying to stay pure for the Passover are defiling the Passover. The point 
This is the problem with moralism. This is the problem with legalism. Namely, it boasts about the rules you keep while ignoring the rules you don't. You try to promote a self-image that is a false image. You're trying to put forth in public something very different than what's in private. Now compare that to Jesus. I told you we'd come back to this in chapter 18, verse 20. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly uh, to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple and where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Do you see the contrast? The religious leaders are doing everything in secrecy. Jesus has nothing to hide. So can I kind of get fired up this morning and excited about some good news? Can I tell you what the opportunity is that Jesus offers you today? Here it is. Jesus offers you the opportunity to come out of the night of your religious hypocrisy and into the light of saving grace. Preach, preacher. Okay, I'll preach, all right? You can come out of the night of your religious hypocrisy and trying to act like you're somebody that you're not and into the light of saving grace. People say, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. You know my response to that. Well, there's always room for one more. Because you're a religious hypocrite, and so am I. That's the point. The law doesn't build myself up. It shows me who I really am and why I should not turn away from the greatest opportunity, which is knowing Jesus Christ. I, as your pastor, people say, you preach on this all the time. Like I'm pretty sure you mentioned this last week and then the week before that. And something makes me think you'll mention it next week or sometime in the near future. Yes! Look at me. I don't want religion for you. I want Jesus for you. I I see my role. Can we chat for a moment? Let's chat. I'll talk loud. You just sit there and listen, all right? I view my role every weekend almost like coming into a synagogue and declaring the good news so that people will be saved out of religion. And one of the reasons why I'm talking to so many people that are coming to Berean that have been disengaged with church is for that very message. Because they're not looking for a religious system. They're looking for something real. And Jesus gives you something real. But I'm telling you, there's some of you here today that's missing the greatest opportunity of knowing Jesus Christ because you're caught in religious morality. May today Jesus set you free. Number two, that's how the religious leaders missed Jesus. Now let's move to Pilate and how he missed Jesus. Uh, Pilate doesn't like to create waves. He's your stereotypical politician. Uh, look at Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark 15, verse 15 on the screen. I want you to say this first phrase with me, all right? Ready? Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd. Now, that says a lot about Pilate right there, doesn't it? He released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivers him to be crucified. In other words, here's what's happening. Pilate isn't concerned about saving a religion. 
Pilate is concerned about saving face. He's going to do everything he can do to dodge the issue of Jesus. He doesn't want to make a verdict. He is dodging left and right. In fact, I want to give you this kind of uh, of visual symbol of what I'm about to show you in the text of Pilate dodging everything he can. Pilate looks like this. You can't touch this. <laughs> you gotta like the little shake at the end, right? I think I, I think it's like he dodged 21 punches in 10 seconds. I mean, God never landed. So you got that image in your mind? That's the image you need to have of Pilate. Because Pilate is bobbing, weaving, dodging every punch that the Jews are throwing at him. He's trying to deflect and ignore and get out of because that's who Pilate is. He's trying to conform. Watch him. Let's see. Verse, uh, Verse 31, chapter 18. This is the first dodge. He says, um... Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. In other words, you deal with him. I don't want to deal with him. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death, which, by the way, was a lie. Uh, The Jews could stone people, and they did. Uh, The reason why they're saying this is because they want to pin this on Pilate. All right, follow me for a moment. The Jews know that if they kill Jesus... They're going to face the persecution from the the followers of Jesus. So they want to pin it on Pilate. Pilate doesn't want to be responsible for this. So he's trying to shoo fly, shoo fly, take, take him back, deal with him according to your own law. But that doesn't work. Number two, look at verse 39 of chapter 18. This is his second attempt. You know, you have this custom that I should release one man for you at Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? I think at this point, Pilate thinks he's a genius, right? That he's impressed himself because he'll use their own custom and simply release Jesus. But it backfires. Verse 40, they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. In other words, don't like plan backfired because now I'm actually releasing A real criminal, a terrorist, someone who wants Rome overthrown. So the plan has backfired in Pilate's face, but he's not given up. He tries a third attempt, verse 1 of chapter 19. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe, they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know I find no guilt in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Behold the man. In other words, attempt three, give him a little blood. Show him a little bone." Beat him, they'll feel sorry for him, and let him go. Does that plan work? Verse 6. When the chief priest and the officer saw him, that is, saw him in that condition, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. In other words, we love it. Give us more. 
We see the blood, we want more blood. We see the beating, we want death. And so Pilate thought he could dodge Jesus, but he can't. He's going to have to give a verdict. Now keep in mind that Pilate is doing this, the text is clear, all the while he knows Jesus is innocent. Three times, two in chapter 18 and one in, uh, one in chapter 18, two in chapter 19, he says, this man has no guilt. This man is innocent. Add to that that in Matthew chapter 27, we know that Pilate's wife has had a dream, sent him a message to do, quote, nothing with this righteous man. Husbands, listen to your wife. That's a great place for an amen, right, guys? I'm sorry you missed that, and the fact that you'll sleep on the couch tonight is not my fault, it's yours, all right? Listen to your wife. Like, he knows exactly what he should do right here, faith family. He's simply afraid to do it. He knows what's right, but he's afraid to do what's right. And in an effort to please the crowd, save his job, preserve his reputation, he forfeits his soul. Because he sacrifices truth on the altar of pragmatism. Now, give me just a moment. You may or may not like what I'm about to say, but I, I, I want to give a prophetic voice, and most of you know this, to where our culture is. Because we are right now living in a culture of pilots. Pilate, Pilate my goodness, he's the, he's the postmodern before there ever was... Uh, postmodernism. What I mean here is, listen, in our culture, people aren't concerned about truth. They're concerned about what's in their own best interest. Categories like right, wrong, male, female, good, evil are sacrificed daily on the altar of what works best for me. We are a culture of pilots. Look, for instance, at the cover of the uh, current Time magazine, the question of, is truth dead? Now, for full fairness, the article is actually about politics, of which I'm not going into today. I just found that question interesting, that we live in a day where people think truth is dead. But I'm here to tell you, truth ain't dead. Truth ain't dead. It may be dead to you, but he's alive and well. For Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. Truth is alive and well. And pilots are trying to do everything they can to conform to the culture so that they don't have to face any persecution. But look at what Jesus offers. Look at chapter 18 and verse 37. Oh, the contrast that is so obvious. Pilate said to him, so are you a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and this purpose I have come into the world. Watch this. To bear witness to the truth, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In other words, the contrast is very, very clear. Listen, it's this. Pilate turns away from truth so he doesn't have to face persecution. Jesus embraces persecution so as not to forsake the truth. Which one will you be? 
what kind of church will we be? And, and I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about not being loving. Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 13, you can be a clanging symbol, and if you don't have love, what does it matter, right? Amen? This isn't like truth, truth, truth without love. This is truth in love. Truth in love. Why? Because that's the opportunity that Jesus offers you, namely to have a life that is guided by and grounded in the very truth of God. And some of you are so concerned about what your parents are going to think, what your classmates are going to think, what other people are going to think, that you're missing out on the greatest opportunity of life, which is to know Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Amen? Number three. This is the third reason, really second reason for Pilate, but third in the text. Pilate's not done yet. He's still trying to release Jesus. And then, but, but have you ever, by the way, have you ever been in a, an argument and somebody just like pulls something out of the last minute that just shuts the argument down and you're like, I can't believe they went there. You know, they're like, well, your mother or well, you know, whatever, something like that. And you're like, don't go there. Like that should be off limits because it shuts everything down. It's the ace of spades. It's the trump card that just ends the debate. Well, this whole time, the Jews have been holding in their back pocket a trump card, an ace of spades. They haven't played it yet. So far, they've been able to keep putting it back in Pilate's court. But now after the beating, for fear that Pilate might let him go, they play their last card. And it's a good one. Look at it. Chapter 19, verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, so he's still trying to get rid of him. But the Jews cried out, here it is, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Uh-oh. They just went there. And not only that, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And why do you say that's the last straw? Because look at what happens in verse 16. So he, that is Pilate, delivered him, that is Jesus, over to them to be crucified. In other words, they cut straight to Pilate's heart. Pardon the pun. I'm doing it intentionally. When it comes to Pilate, Rome is where the heart is. Rome is where the heart is. That is who he's loyal to the most. Watch me. So he misses Jesus because his loyalty is to the wrong kingdom. But, 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 but compare it, I've been trying to show you these, these contrasts that are so obvious in the text. Uh, look at what Jesus says that stands in opposition to what Pilate just did. Uh, look at uh, chapter uh, 18, verse 36. 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Do you see the difference? If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So, so it's as simple as I can put it. Here it is, right here, faith family. Pilate's loyalty is to the kingdom of man, 
Jesus' loyalty is to the kingdom of God. And my fear is that some of you will miss the greatest opportunity, which is knowing Jesus Christ, because you are too in love with this world. You're like the rich young ruler that would say, man, I want to follow you. Sure, I'm signed up. Let's do this. And Jesus says, sell everything you have. What did he do? He got to the heart. For that man, his heart was his riches. And the rich man said, eh, on second thought, maybe not. And he missed the greatest opportunity in life, which is to know Jesus Christ. Listen, God loves the world. He sent Jesus into the world. He created the world. He will redeem the world. He has sent us out into the world. But he has been very clear that we are not of this world. We serve a kingdom that will never pass away. Because I don't know if you've checked the history books recently, but Rome is bye-bye. Jesus, still going strong. And he ain't going nowhere because the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. You know, here's the opportunity Jesus offers you. He offers you the opportunity to enter into eternal kingdom with an eternal king. Is that where your heart is? Don't miss the opportunity of Jesus. Here's the fourth and final one. It, it's a literal event that happened here in the text, but it's really metaphorical for the whole biblical story. And, and by the way, are, are you seeing these contrasts? Okay, this means yes. Okay, so, so what do you, you have the Jewish leaders or what? Secrecy, Jesus is, I got nothing to hide. Pilate is, I know what's true, but I'm not going to act on it. Jesus is, let's be clear, my purpose in coming was to declare truth. Pilate is, I'm ultimately loyal to Caesar in Rome. Jesus is, my kingdom is not of this world. And here's the last one. I think it's the biggest contrast of them all, but it can be difficult to see. Look at verse, thir- uh, verse 40 of chapter 18. They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas, that is Bar-Abbas. Now, Barabbas, Bar-Abbas was a robber. Bar Abbas. What does that mean? Bar means son. Follow me. Abba means father. So put it together. Bar, son. Abbas, father. Barabbas means son of a father. I'm going to let it land. Jesus is the son of of the Father. Meaning, what you have, the decision before the crowd, is you have two sons of the Father. One is a criminal. The other is innocent. One deserves death. The other gives life. One has been rightly condemned. The other has been falsely accused. And in a twist of all twists, it's the one who committed no crime that becomes the substitute for the criminal. 
It's the one who committed no sin that takes the place of the one who had committed sin. Meaning what? What is that a picture of? It's the picture of the whole biblical story, which is that you and I are Barabbas. You and I are sons. We're sons and daughters. We're part of God's creation. The, the problem is we are spiritual captives to our own sin. We are in prison. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned. We have rebelled. We deserve separation from God. But, but the good news of the gospel is that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be set free. Do you want to know the opportunity that Jesus offers you? Are you ready for this opportunity? The opportunity is criminals, sinners. Jesus offers you forgiveness and freedom. From your sin. That's what Jesus offers. He's the ultimate Son of the Father who has taken our place on the cross. Listen to Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. See, you're Barabbas. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Here's the good news of the gospel. This gets me fired up. It's this. Are you ready? God placed his son in the hands of sinners so that sinners can place their lives in the hands of God. God placed his son in the hands of sinners to be crucified so that we, Barabbas, can be set free. We can place our lives in the hands of God. Don't miss that opportunity. I, I told you at the beginning, my aim today is simply to plead with you, don't be like the people in this text. Please, don't miss who is before you. Don't Fail to ask Him for what you need, which is Him, because you fail to see who He is. It was a Sunday night, October the 8th, 1871. D.L. Moody's preaching in downtown Chicago. He told the crowd that was gathered on that night, I want you to go home and I want you to think about what I've said. I want you to think about the gospel, and I want you to come back tomorrow and tell me what you've decided. Little did D.L. Moody know that just as he was closing the service that night, just a few miles away, a fire had broken out in a cow barn. By 1.30 a.m. in the morning, the entire business district of downtown Chicago is in flames. Over 100,000 homes were destroyed and hundreds of lives were lost. Listen, many of which were at that service that Moody preached. Moody said that his ministry changed forever after that night. And here's what he said. From now on, Every chance I get, I will urge people to make a decision today. 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 
Make your decision today, for you must never waste an opportunity to respond to God's good news. Faith family, choose this day whom you will serve. Be free of religious morality. Be free of social conformity. Be free of loyalty to anything in this world. Be free of spiritual captivity. And be free to take the advantage of the greatest opportunity, which is knowing Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who he is, and he is an opportunity our lives cannot afford to miss. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. We have opportunities every day to know Jesus and also opportunities to grow in him. And we confess before you how, how weak our faith is to see him for who he is. Because if we would see him for who he is, oh, how we would want to know him, how we would want to grow in him. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us those things that um, are distracting us from the opportunity of just knowing Christ. There are some in this room today, um, they have time and time again rejected the opportunity to trust Christ as their Savior. I pray right now, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, that they would simply pray, they would confess in their heart, I recognize that I am a sinner. I am Barabbas, spiritually. And I believe that God so loved the world that he sent his son to take our place on the cross. I receive that, I believe that by faith. And I take advantage of this opportunity that you have given me today. I will not harden my heart, but I will trust, I will believe, I will surrender. Lord, I pray that there are some right now who are confessing that, who are saying that in their heart. There are others in this room that they are followers of Christ, but every day there are those opportunities to grow and to know and to walk in intimacy, and they're walking right on by. And I pray that their prayer would simply be, God, give me the the, the vision, the ability to see those opportunities, to stop, reflect, and take advantage of all those things that you've given me that I might know Christ, which is the very reason in which I exist. So Holy Spirit, you know where we're at. You know where our hearts are. So speak to us, would you? And may today be the day that we decide who it is we will serve. In Jesus' name. Amen.